Welcome to Best Served Cold, a Bore Millennials podcast, where we drink wine and talk about crime. Presented to you by Tama J and Laura Lees. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Welcome to uh, not Carol Baskin's web show, where she definitely doesn't pretend like she didn't kill her husband. Although we could do that one day. Ooh. Shotgun. Next episode, we will talk about Carol Baskin and her... Heard uh, the whole theory surrounding her, that bitch. Apparently, there's a show coming out just about. Oh, really? About his her disappearance? Yeah. No way! Yeah. Holy fuck! That's yeah. awesome. If anyone can figure out, I reckon if he's still alive, John Douglas should should like. Is John pop. Douglas still alive? I don't know. Let's look it up. Let's Google that shit. Anyway, while Tama's looking that up, welcome to the show. We now officially. Have a name. I don't know if we said the name that we were going to do in the last show. No. We had a name and then we went to upload the first two episodes we recorded and discovered that there was not only a podcast called exactly the same thing, but like weirdly with incredibly similar artwork to the one that I had designed. I swear to God, I'd never seen them before. Obviously, great minds just think alike. Anyway, welcome to Best Served Cold, the true crime <laughs> conspiracy cult. Bizarre murder, deep dive podcast. Just every single thing to do with true crime, I guess. Yeah, basically we drink right. We We drink right. What was that? I'm sorry, was that English? No, it wasn't. I think Carol Baskin's rubbing off on you. wine. Carol Baskin is inside me. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Jesus. We drink wine and talk about crime. Talk about pegging, apparently. I mean, we could still have that as our tagline. Yeah, true. Welcome to Best Serve Cold, where we drink wine and talk about crime. Presented to you by the Bored Millennials. Da-dun, da-dun. Shameless plug. Um, coincidentally, are millennials who are bored because yeah. still stuck in quarantine. Reason. Uh, just side note, John Douglas is still alive today. Hmm. Good to know. Maybe one day we'll have him on the show. Also, I'm really sorry I just swallowed into the microphone. I imagine he's retired, though. I'm sure he'd still love to come and talk shit on a mediocre podcast. Yeah, a couple 20-something-year-olds Because who in wouldn't Sydney? want to do that? Yeah. Um. So, should we well, just jump right into it or should we like... Should we save the good, good stuff, life chats until... After because I mean, there's a lot of shit going on. I mean, as of this stuff. Friday of recording, we could potentially see pubs, pubs in Australia open. opening back up. I miss pubs. Um, last Friday, which um, as of recording right now, it's the fourth of May because we record these in advance. Um, but as of last Friday, which was the first, they've relaxed the restriction laws so you can, um, have you up have to two, two people over. Adults. Yeah. Mm. So, um, good signs of things to come. Hopefully, you know, things are calming down and we can go back to our normal fucking lives and... Well, I don't know if anyone will be listening to this that's not in... I mean, I hope people who aren't in Australia also listen to this, but we've done a pretty smashing job of, um, flattening the curve. Yeah. Um... Except for people in Melbourne, apparently. There's really? A, yeah, there's a huge thing in Melbourne where I think it was an abattoir has had a huge outbreak. Oh. And it's like okay, something to do with, I don't know if it was the workers or something to do with the meat. Um, I believe there was just a whole bunch of people at this abattoir that went unchecked and spread it around un- unknowingly. 
So it had a bit of a spike, but I f- mm. think mostly everything's contained. Like, I feel like most people who are going to get it have had it. And we've had a huge recovery rate from the people who have had it. So it's kind of just like making its way Yeah, out. I think I read online that like we've had like under 10,000 infections, I think, in Australia. And mm. I think more than half of those have recovered. I'd say like four-fifths have yeah, recovered. And less than 100 deaths, I think. Last yeah. time I checked, it was less than 100. So, you know, fucking hopefully we can go back to going to a oh, pub and just having pub. a good Again, beer, man. if you're listening to this and you're not from Australia, you probably don't understand that like pub culture is a big thing. Yeah, it's a huge in thing. In Australia, like a afternoon session more so than, the than bars or clubs really like there's like bars and clubs are a thing in australia but pubs are just such a pubs are a big thing a, like a have a snitty have a beer oh oh really quickly friends. can yeah. we there's a huge fucking huge debate over whether you pronounce palmy it or palmy or palmy or palmer what do you pronounce it i say palmy yeah Chicken palmy. Chicken palmy. Well, actually, I just say chicken palm. Yeah. I say palmy too, but the argument is, I believe, that... I don't know. I I feel like I say both, but I think the argument is that... I don't like them, so I don't really... I feel like the argument is that chicken palmy uh, is the only logical one because it's relates to the rest of the word whereas palmer yeah but when you think about how you'd actually say the whole thing like chicken you wouldn't say chicken parmigiana yeah exactly and that's the thing that i think people are getting tripped tripped up on is that like people are trying to say the argument of you say it because it's that's how the word is i mean i don't say it very often because i don't order them or particularly that's like saying you should call the service station the survey because it ends with service like servo the botley. Dezo. Like, it doesn't make any sense to be like, oh, it's supposed to be palmy. Anyway, that's an interesting debate. I yeah. think I say palm, like chicken palm. I never really realized what exactly I say during the whole debate. I never actually thought about it that much. Yeah, now you've mentioned it, I can't actually. Yeah, I can't recall what I actually fucking I've call it. it yeah, I know. It's one of those things now where it's like, what, how do I say it? Fuck. Yeah, I don't know. Who went um, first last time? Yeah, I went first last time. Um, so last episode, we talked about the Heaven's Gate cult. And, and Robert Hansen. And oh, Robert Hansen. by the way, if you listen to last week's episode, we watched the Frozen Ground movie. Oh, yeah, we movie. did. We did indeed. Um, if you're in Australia, it's on Stan, so you can stream it on Stan. I don't know. It might be on Netflix in other it's countries. probably on Netflix if it's on Stan for um, us. But it's actually really good. It focuses a lot more on Cindy Paulson and her struggles to get Robert Hansen in jail and him trying to... I mean, I don't know. She was apparently on the production team for the movie and approved it. So I would guess that most of it is factual, but it talks about how he tried to, like, hunt her down and kill her after she'd escaped so she couldn't dobble him and all this stuff. But it was actually... I was... Baby V... Did a good job. I mm, was surprised. I know. And it's the weirdest... Like, when you said that casting choice, it was fucking mm. bizarre. Nicolas Cage does a very, very limited amount of screaming. Yeah, Nicolas Cage did a, a normal role. And John Cusack does an excellent job as Robert Hansen. Yeah. So, would 
recommend it for a watch. It I mean, a it's very not good movie. It's not seven, but it's not. Yeah, but I mean, that's like saying Birdemic. It's like somewhere this between. new cult following movie isn't Pulp Fiction. Like, yeah, yeah, you know? it's not Birdemic. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere between Birdemic and Seven. Oh God! If you haven't watched Birdemic, I definitely recommend watching yeah, Birdemic. Uh, our little kitten has come to say hi. She's um, she's checking out the microphone. She's currently sniffing it. She doesn't really give a shit, to be honest. She's very chill. I think she's gonna take a nap on my leg. Um, it's a hard life being. A it is a hard life. Why don't you, why don't you kick off this one, All right. Laura? Since I went last, I first last time. So I tried to keep this week's one in as much of an order as I could, but every friggin' article I read about this dude was so all over the place. Like he, from what I can tell, is is a bit of a pathological liar. So all of the facts oh. of his story are very muddied. Very out of place, like very all over the place. Like he originally, he was only convicted for nine murders. He confessed to 27, but some of the people he confessed to murdering were then found to be alive. Mm. And then some experts say they reckon his killing count is in the hundreds. Wow. And they don't know. They don't know. Um, because then he recanted his confession and said he only killed two people. Right. Can I just so, really so quickly, yeah. at some point... During one of the episodes of the podcast, you just reminded me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about um, this story of this French man who was in his teens, I believed, who um, was successfully infiltrated this, I think it was an American person's family, by replacing their son. So the son went missing and he replaced him. And they had no idea. And it's like... How do this, you not know? There's this documentary on it. Where they'd go into the how, like, they, he, the French man believed that they just, they knew, but they didn't give a shit. And there was something going so on weird. there. And like, there was what, people just. What time was this in? I, I'll go and I'll Cause leave I swear it for, to God, like, late 1800s, early 19s, there was some fucking weird shit. Like, Albert Fish. Yeah. They I'll, just I'll, gave um, him their daughter. I'll leave it for another episode, but essentially, um, the there's a documentary about it and mm. at the end at the end of the documentary they leave it to the very end they're interviewing the french man and he drops the bomb that he is a pathological liar so potentially debunking everything he's ever said in the entire documentary so it's like mm. it's a whole debacle but i'm going to i'm going to put a bit more research into it yeah you just remind me so i'm just that's a little teaser of what's going to come maybe next episode potentially yeah also, this guy, who I'll tell you his name in a second, he did a lot more than just murder people, so his story is, Ooh. like, very all over the show. an all-rounder. Um, so, today we're going to be talking about H.H. H. Holmes, who was actually born Herman Webster Mudgett, so, like, no wonder he Mudgett. changed his name. Fucking hell. Um, this guy is famous for his, quote, murder castle, which Ooh. loosely inspired the hotel... From American Horror Story Hotel. Oh, this guy, right? Yeah. So Murder Castle. So, a little Amazing. little background. So Herman was born in New Hampshire in 1861. So we are going a little bit old way back. Yeah. So he was a descendant of two English immigrants and was the third-born child. He was from a working family, and during his life, before he moved, he worked as a farmer, trader, and a house painter. So 
again, going back to his pathologically... Pathologically. That's a hard word to say. It is a hard word to say. Pathological lying. Um, Some articles say that he was bullied as a kid by children at school. Some say that he was abused by his father. Then go back to what we've been saying previous episodes, where mm-hmm. they always have always some sort of abusive abuse. childhoods yep. or head injuries. But again, there's nothing to really like back that up. Like eyewitness accounts don't support that. I feel really weird because the way we've set the microphones up this week and the way I'm sitting, I can't look at you and talk into the microphone. At the well, same we could re- time. we could quickly reposition it so you. I can. just feel really rude. Do you want to? Yeah. Look at me. A little bit. <laughs> All right. It's very strange. There you go. How's that? That's Is that better? That's swinging away from me. Swinging life away. Sorry, I can hold it. It's okay, I can hold it. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm having some technical difficulties this episode. No, it's swinging. Oh. Yeah, there we go. There it is. There she is. And we're back. And we're back. There we go. Um, so he has a pretty detailed history online. Like his Wikipedia page is one of the longer ones I've seen so far. Oh, really? Wow. Um, so I'm just going to skim over some interesting some points. Fun facts. Um, that don't really affect the story, but are just interesting to know nonetheless. I'm going to mm-hmm. try and raise this up because my levels are like not existing. There we go. Yeah. All right. Wow, I have like no level. It's fine. You, you, you're you, fine. Oh, I think I'm looking at... You're poo, probably looking at mine. Poo. Yours is number two. Poo, two. Okay. Or number one, sorry. Yeah, you're number one. We can just cut this out. Okay. So, he graduated high school at age 16, took some teaching jobs, and then in 1878... He married Clara Lovering and they had a son in 1880 who you never hear about again, which is Father of the Year Award. Wow. Um, At age 18, he enrolled in university but left one year later. Excuse me. Why? You have had no interest in that plant since you arrived at this house and now we're recording a podcast. You want to... Dig in it. Is that? Oh my goodness. Just sit. Just chill. Just chill. Chill out. Sit down. Have a cocktail. Um, where was I up to? Okay, so he enrolled in uni a year later. Sorry, he enrolled in uni and then left a year later. 
because he didn't like it apparently. And then shortly after enrolled in a different university, which was the uh, State Michigan University of Science and Medicine. Mm. Right. Which is, a, which is an interesting point. Okay. Um, so, okay, there's so much detail. So I'm going to try and give <laughs> as much as I can without going on forever because he's actually like really weird and interesting dude, but... We There's all want to get to the murder castle. Yeah, of course. So, while studying at his second university in Michigan, he stole and disfigured cadavers from the lab mm. and also tried to collect insurance money over the years. And he'd actually perfected this by the time he left uni and supposedly became a beneficiary for many women that he worked with, some of who mysteriously disappeared. Wow. Mm. Um, another weird, interesting fact he was actually married to three women at the same time. So, Clara in 1878, when he was 19. Myrta in 1887, before he divorced, divorced, divorced Clara. Shut up. And then Georgiana in 1894, just shortly before he was arrested. So, he right. was married when he was murdering people. And he was technically still married to all three when, spoiler alert, he was put to death in 1896. Interesting. Fun fact, which also does relate to something further in the story. He specifically requested when he was put to death that he was buried 10 feet underground and encased in concrete to stop grave robbers. To stop people from robbing his grave? Yeah. Right. Because well, he knew what you could do with a body. Ah, he had experience. Mm. And he's widely touted as America's first serial killer. Ah, interesting. Mm. Um, an important thing to note, um, again, he was a notorious liar and combined with some pretty dubious journalism techniques from that time, which was called yellow journaling or yellow journalism, where they would exaggerate or even just sometimes make up stories to try and sell newspapers. <laughs> which is so far different mm. from what they do now. Oh, yeah. They definitely don't do that now. Oh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, so it's really hard to determine what's actually true about any of yeah, his stories. Of okay, and so the dude's a pathological liar. Yeah. So, in 1886, Holmes moves to Chicago, or sh I should say Mudgett moves to Chicago and adopts <laughs> the name Dr. H.H. H. Holmes. Dude, that is such an unfortunate name. Mudget. Mudget. Mujet. Mujet. <laughs> it's Mujet. <laughs> it's pronounced Mujet, darling. <laughs> Um, so he works as a pharmacist in 1887 and buys the lot across the road from his work where he starts a building. He's, he starts building a building rather. Right. So it's a three story building with shops on the bottom, units in the middle. And then the third floor was started, but never finished. And that was going to be a hotel. Mm, okay. It contained a hundred rooms and stretched for an entire block. So it's not like a house. It's like a, it's like a huge floor thing. Yeah, it had a hundred rooms. 100 so it's rooms. massive. Shit. Yeah. Um, he switches during the build, he switches builders and architects frequently throughout the build to hide all the weird shit he's got going on. And if he ever suspected that someone caught on. Caught on, he would fire them and bring someone else and oh. people mysteriously disappeared and oh. all that sort of stuff. So the building is completed in 1892. I'm going to I'm going to talk about the building a little bit because I've already spoiled it. it, you know he gets caught. Okay. So the following details were described by the police who searched 
the house when he was arrested. So again, just going to keep saying this because it's a really interesting story. So I feel like people want to believe all the gory, gruesome details. But again, we don't know, we don't know. how much of this is true. So police found hinged walls with hinged rooms with petitions, rooms with five doors and some rooms with none, secret airless chambers hidden underneath floorboards with iron-plated walls. Whoa. Holmes' own room had a trapdoor in the bathroom, which revealed a staircase that led to a windowless cubicle with a large chute that went through to the basement. Which is super creepy. Terrifying. Yeah, Jesus another Christ. room was filled with gas fixtures, um, which led to like containers of poisonous gas, and the rooms could be sealed to be airtight. Jesus. These rooms also contained chutes to the basement. Um, creepy even more. All of the doors and some of the steps were connected to an intricate alarm system that would sound a buzzer in Holmes' room when triggered. Oh, I heard about this. Yeah, that's the R. Kelly maneuver. Oh. I think, I, I'm pretty sure R. Kelly had it, something similar. That's weird. Yeah. It was either R. Kelly or Michael Jackson had something. That's really I weird. I can't remember who it was. I wonder if they have directly taken inspiration from, because that's really fucked up. If yeah. Taken it's some sort of like alarm system. from a serial killer. It's some sort of alarm system that lets people know that they're on their way, like a, like a pressure system. That's I, so I can't creepy. remember if I watched it during the R. Kelly documentary or the Michael Jackson documentary, but essentially someone raped someone and someone wanted to hide it. That's the gist of it. I don't think Holmes ever raped anyone, which is interesting. I couldn't see anywhere no, that he raped but these, people. Which, I mean, doesn't make him any better. No, <laughs> but it's where these rapists got mm. the ideas from. Mm-hmm. Alleged rapists, I should say. Okay. So, they go down to the basement. They find bones... Some which are animal and some are human, so small that they likely belong to a child who was about six or seven. Oh, dear. There was an operating table where they found a woman's blood-soaked clothes, more surgical surfaces, medical and torture devices, disintegrating acids, and a kiln slash crematory. Jesus. Yeah. So his first alleged murder was that of his mistress, Julia Smythe, and her daughter, they disappeared on Christmas Eve, 1891, and were never found, ever. Oh. Holmes claimed that Smythe died during an abortion that he attempted to give her. Right. God. You don't drink wine. What are you doing? She wants to taste glass. She's trying to... <laughs> you don't drink wine. You're <sighs> underage. Yeah, sorry. You're too young. Um, Where was I up to? Um, so, at the peak of his murdery career... In 1893, he allegedly, again that word, seduced and murdered a number of women, typically by getting engaged to them and then killing them after they'd signed all their money as over to him. Yeah, as we should all do as strong, yeah, independent he's, women. He's a smart guy. Yeah. Um, he also, which I just found this so weird and like, how is this not a red flag? He made all of his employees sign their life insurance policies to him and carry them with them at all times. Wow. Which is just like... That's a huge red flag. Such a red flag. But also it's a different time, so you don't... I don't know. Like, in just the 70s and 60s, it was fine for people to hitchhike. And now we know it as like... Yeah, but there's a big difference between hitchhiking and 
Yeah, I know. Signing your life insurance over to someone you don't really know and then them being like, hey, I want you to carry that around with you all know. the time. Things were people more, more trusting back then, I guess. Um, also, having his knowledge of how to dismember a body and his knowledge of like the local mm. medical schools, he actually made a lot of money selling body parts to local oh, medical fantastic. schools. So, you know, just getting more bang for his buck. No questions He'd asked, kill them, please. dismember them, and then sell their body parts. And wow. apparently, no one ever picks up on the fact that this is odd behavior. No one asks the questions. Hey, hey by the way, where the fuck are you yeah, getting Yeah, where are you getting from? all these body parts <laughs> from? Just, do I want to know? He's just got a fucking semi-loaded with fucking yeah, livers. Yeah, like, like legs. It. Yeah. Like, what's happening here, sir? <laughs> um... Yeah, that was another thing where I was like, why was that not a red flag? There are so many red flags here that you just... But again, it's the whole thing. All the articles I read go on about how he was like very charming and trusting and a white man. Mm. That's all you needed to be was a white man. Yeah. Different times. Different times. Well, is it though? Yeah. Is it though? (laughs) I don't know, man. Um, Okay, so there are... a heap of other stories I really couldn't sort of make head or tail of. So yeah. I'm just kind of going to... It's very up there. There's lots of like, oh, it's alleged he killed this person. And it's alleged it's like, he did I that. I want the fucking and facts. this other person that he knew disappeared mysteriously. Yeah. It's like none of it's really facts. Who cares, so, Samantha? <clears throat> so I'm going to skip it to the end. So while working in a bank, Holmes meets and becomes good friends with Benjamin... Probably going to pronounce his last name wrong... Peter Zell. Ooh, Peter Zell. Peter Zell. He is a carpenter with a criminal background. Oh, they lovely. worked together for several fraud schemes, um, one of which Holmes is arrested for in 1883 when he started a fire at his own... Sorry, I think that's supposed to be 1893. When he starts a fire at his own house to try and collect the insurance. Okay, fairly petty. But was shortly released after being imprisoned. So... While in jail, he concocts a plan with wild... I love how they describe this person. Wild West outlaw, Marion Hedgepath. Ooh. Mm. Interesting. To swindle an insurance company out of $10,000, which I can't do the math on inflation, but that'd $10, be a lot of money. $10,000 back then is like a good mill. Yeah, think. a lot of money. Probably. So they're going to swindle the tax comp- uh, insurance company out of $10,000 by Holmes taking out an insurance policy on himself and faking his own death. Hedgepath was promised $500 if he could recommend a lawyer that would be suitable for helping them pull this off. Wow. So, ironically, what ends up bringing Holmes down isn't actually his murders. He gets arrested for insurance fraud. Wow. Which is fucked up. So wow. this plan ends up falling through when the insurance company becomes suspicious and they won't pay the claim. So rather than like push it and risk getting found, he drops it. So I'm assuming okay. the lawyer pretends to be his beneficiary and try yeah, and claim, sort of claim everything or back. something along those lines. I don't know. I didn't go into a lot of detail. So then they decide to basically do the same thing, but with Benjamin Pitazal faking his own death, and then his wife would collect the life insurance and split it with Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> however, Holmes gets halfway through that plot and goes, you know what would be a lot easier? Let's just kill Benny Boy. 
because finding a Sorry, cadaver is too hard. Yeah. Apparently. Although apparently he didn't have a shortage of them. Yeah. So I don't he's know. He's like stealing cadavers left, right, and fucking center. But when it really matters, yeah. he's like, you know what? I'm going to just kill you. I have a trap door. I can shoot um, bodies here. Yeah. So he knocks him out with chloroform and sets him on fire. Oh my God. <laughs> it's also oh my God, claimed God. that he murders. One article I read said five, and one said three of Pitazal's children. Oh, that's to- still a lot of children cover it up because wow. they were worried that he would they'd go to the police. Yeah, fucking hell. Um another article said that Petersal was actually burned <clears> alive <throat> and the chloroform was administered afterwards to support a suicide story. Ah. Which is a very weird suicide. I get yeah, you, like, I you I really knock yourself out with chloroform and then you somehow manage to light yourself on fire. fire. Yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really. Yeah. Know. Um, anyway, so he actually does get the payout from this death because it was supported by a actual corpse. Great success. It was undeniably yeah. pitted As a fucking corpse, yeah. But Holmes's undoing was he forgot about his good old Wild West pal, Hedgepath. Oh, yeah. He, wow. never, <laughs> he never paid Hedgepath his $500. Oh, never do that to so an outlaw. he goes, fuck you, and tells the cops everything they've talked about in his brief stint Ooh. in prison. So, initially, there's actually not enough evidence to arrest Holmes, but they find an outstanding warrant for his arrest in Texas for stealing a horse. Wow. Which is so random. It's like how they got, um, I think it was Al Capone. On tax evasion. Yeah. Yeah. Like he had, he was one of the world's biggest tr- drug traffickers. And yeah, they arrested him for tax evasion. Yeah. yeah. It's weird. Um... Uh, where was I up to? So they bring him in and then the police go investigate his house and they're actually like, hey, this dude's actually super fucked up. And then they find that he also murdered his good old pal, Pitazel, who I've probably been pronouncing his name wrong this entire time. I'm really sorry. We're sorry to all the Pitazels out there. (laughs) Um, We tried. So Holmes was found guilty of murder for Pitazel and was confirmed the killer of nine other victims. Mm. So, as I said at the start, he initially confessed to 27 victims. However, some of those people were found to be alive, which seems like such a weird lie. Like, why would you lie about, I killed this guy? Well, the dude's a pathological liar, supposedly. Such an easy lie to be caught in, though. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess he's just trying (laughs) to throw people off, Mm. maybe. So, some experts say that it's likely in the hundreds of people... That yeah. he's killed. Well, he has a fucking hotel mm. that can s- sit over about 100 people. And a crematorium in the basement. Yeah. So, like, uh, who fucking knows? And he gave away a shit ton of bodies, apparently. Yeah. It had to be more than nine because they're talking about how. Well, if he's consistently made all this giving money, yeah. organs away mm. and he has a crematorium, mm-hmm. he has enough bodies to warrant a crematorium. And he's not Dark just shit. using it, he's disposing of organs by selling them. So it has to be... Entrepreneur. I know. Maybe we should get into organ. Murdering people and selling their organs. Yeah. I mean, selling ice cream on on a van. Kissing babies on the forehead. Mm. Hee hee. Not inappropriately. Yeah, but like, what an entrepreneur. Fucking Uses his money, builds a murder house, 
sells the bodies of the people he murders. And it's the 1880s. Who's going to fucking catch him? Yeah, exactly. Well, they did. But not on... Insurance fraud. Yeah, but they didn't catch him for the fucking murders. Mm. So this dude was fucking creepy right until the end. So in 1896, Holmes was hung. When he was released from the trapdoor, however, his neck didn't snap like normal. And it took him 20 minutes of creepily twitching to die. Oh, God. Yep. Um, recently, in 2017, there was a weird rumor that was going around where people fully believed that he'd actually escaped and was still alive. Right. Well, not still alive, because obviously he'd be dead. Yeah. But they didn't believe that he he'd died actually then, died. Yeah. So they exhumed his body, but because of the weird way they buried him... In cement. In cement. He hadn't... Um, decomposed properly and his suit and mustache were perfectly preserved but what about his body didn't say about his body i'm assuming like i don't know the article i read just said that his clothes and mustache were perfectly preserved but his body must so well your body produces like acids and shit that break itself down wow that's Fucking fascinating. So I'm assuming that they mean like his bones with a full suit. And a mustache. <laughs> mustache on the skeleton. Maybe there's a fake mustache. <gasps> dun, Ooh, dun, dun, dun. Dun. Wow. It's the real twist in this Yeah. Story. The mustache was never H. real. H.H. Holm. When you look at his photos, real. he looks like he's a classy fucking looking dude. Can you show me the photos. He's got a bowler hat. I'll look up. And a beautiful mustache. Was his, his name's H.H. H. Holm, right? H.H. H. Holmes. He's the original Triple H. Which you don't know who that is. No, I don't. But he's a wrestler who also, at some point Doesn't in time... Doesn't he look dapper? He does look very dapper. Like, that's a beautiful moustache, a lovely, refined, narrow nose. Like That's amazing if his moustache was fake mm. all this time and it's just perfectly preserved. Yeah. That is terrifying, dude. I'm looking Can at the, the building right now. In Chicago. He was in Chicago. Yeah, so it was in Chicago... Um, I didn't write this down because I was worried that it would get too long. But just as a side note, the building was burnt down in of course the nineteen. 19- Why wouldn't you fucking burn that thing down? Well, it was there for ages, and then two men were spotted running out the back, and then shortly after, there were explosions, and the building right burnt down. I'm just reading a news article. Apparently, Leonardo DiCaprio is playing H.H. H. Holmes in a new series. What? Uh, but I'm, I'm Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio are teaming up again to tell a real life story of Henry H. Holmes. That's amazing. Uh, it's a Hulu series. The Devil in the White City, Murder, Magic and Madness. Doesn't that's say... based off a book. Devil in the White City is the book. Oh, ah, cool. Right. So that's obviously they're doing a show based off I'm going to research that later that's because so that's, cool. that came out February um, 2019, the article. But yeah, another weird side note that now <clears throat> I've not written it down. I'm realizing I do actually have time to tell all this cool stuff I should have written down. Um, a bunch of people that were involved in his case, like trying him for murder, died in mysterious circumstances. Ooh. And in 1914, the caretaker of the building um, committed suicide and just left a note saying, I cannot sleep. And his wow. family all said weird things like, he had visions and thought he was being haunted. Terrifying. Yeah. That is terrifying. Mm. It's always, there's those weird like haunting stories of like the early 
1900s and like late 1800s there's just something so fucking creepy about it because there's there's always these like weird ghostly mm. stories mm-hmm. that relate back to them but yeah and then the the building whose name i now can't remember the murder castle yeah. was loosely <laughs> the inspiration for the american horror, american horror story, story which was time. that series was um that season was very nice i like that season mm. It's terrifying and quite horrifying in many cases, but the oh, series. Yeah. That's the story of or H.H. Holmes. Or some. Very good. That was the most... Diff- I mean, I know we've only done three episodes, but I found that one so hard to research. Like, all the articles are so all, all yeah. over the place. They all have yeah. slightly different stories. <laughs> like, I know what you mean, because I, I did the same thing for last week's episode for um heaven's gate home the the heaven's gate cult um was because it was i I usually watch a lot of videos and then read articles and wikipedia obviously for my research but um lot for heaven's gate cult it was purely just like wikipedia and articles because there's not a lot of detailed articles about them get i don't use videos i just use articles and i normally have wikipedia up purely as a reference for the timeline of things mm. because even if they don't have the most detailed account what are you doing you have been, she has been asleep all day Paige Paige come here baby she's found something she wants she to playing play with? with I don't know um, plastic um yeah, I find even if Wikipedia doesn't have a lot of detail, it normally at least has the basic timeline. But even Wikipedia was like so all over the place, I could not make heads or tails of it. It's but also I just harder okay to to retain the information so much. when you're reading through it. It's just like a, it's a lot of information to take in and you kind of don't really get the, yeah, the brass points. It's just like, oh, and he murdered these people <coughs> and he married these three women and he had a kid. And he and killed like, these other fuck? three kids. Oh, and he stole a horse. And they're like, like, by the way, no one knows if any of this fucking shit's true. What? Because they may have lied. Yeah. Like, great. That's fucking awesome. So confusing. Anyway, that is the crazy story of Fantastic. H.H. Holmes. Well, thank you very much for that, Laura. That was thank very you. insightful. I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. I thank myself. I'm wearing two belts. <laughs> um... So this week I will this be talking about none other than the co-ed killer himself, Edmund Kemper. I love. I mean, I don't love this guy because he's a serial killer. But yeah, I love this guy. It's, he's fascinating, really. His episode of Mindhunter was yeah famous for being one of the most pivotal and um, remembered characters on Mindhunter. I feel Our like he's boy Johnny Douglas. He, he's one of those um, serial killers who was not very well known until Mindhunter kind of it, the book mostly, but the book mm. and the TV show kind of like you know presented him. Yeah. Um, same with like Son of Sam and et cetera, et cetera. Um, whereas like people like you know Manson and and Ted Bundy were like well known for their own respective reasons. Ed Kemper was sort of brought into the limelight due to, like, shows like this. I feel like it's also partially... I mean, not that all the other ones weren't also horrific, but Ed Kemper is disgustingly horrific. Yeah. Him Very and graphic. Jeffrey... Dahmer. Dahmer? Dahmer? Yeah, Dahmer. 
are so vile what they did to people. Like I feel yeah. like it's almost like a don't talk about it because it's so horrific. Type yeah, thing. yeah, I, I feel so. But also maybe it's like to do with the numbers. The like his his killings were m- less grotesque when you talk about succession. Mm. Like um, what he did was very much disgusting, but what he did compared to what you know other people have done, like the Black Dahlia murders, yeah, for but example. Yeah, yeah, so we don't know. but I mean, I'm also mean like the murders themselves were like yeah. the same. But you know and what I mean? Like you, you hear about like a Ted Bundy and a <coughs> Charles Manson, like it's horrible, but it's not necessarily like yeah. gruesome. Um. So obviously, Ed anyway, Kemper. I will let you tell the story. Yeah, obviously, Ed Kemper is very well known now for his friendly demeanor. He's uh, very well respected amongst the. It's such a weird thing. To say it is a very weird thing to say. But he's a he well-respected member of the jail community. He kind of is. He really is. Yeah. He's like, I talked a little bit about it with the Son of Sam thing, where they, where jail can really like transform oh, a person. Oh, super interesting because they want to let him out. They're like, dude, you gotta go. But he's like, I'm and not fucking like, leaving. No. And it's the same thing with Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper knows that he, can't, he like, so I'll get into it later because there's like, there's that whole. That's a whole point to his thing. Do you know what Son of Sam makes me think of? You know that stupid sound on TikTok where it's like, take it off. I can't take it off. Just take it off. I can't. I don't know that one. It's actually. like David Berkowitz. They're like, leave. I can't. <laughs> Just go. I can't leave. But so um, Ed Kemp is in the same boat. He's, he knows that if he gets out, it'll trigger him. He, he he has the potential to trigger back into that. It's just so mindset. weird that they have enough <clears throat> empathy to keep themselves mm. like uh, such a weird. He's shown a little strange. remorse for what he's done, and I mm. believe it. After you know, we research quite a bit about you know serial killers and murderers, and there's a lot of, uh, and I'm not sympathizing with serial killers and murders in any way but there are a lot of people who just believe that people are like this is a born evil and i think that's such a yeah. dumb fucking arrogant thing to say like they're just born evil that's not a thing no one's just born evil there's a clear repetitive um i feel maybe hitler was born evil oh uh, no again that's like he was born into a, a political um yeah, I guess so. situation he was born into and it was something that was formed from yeah the whole political climate at the time and a lot of a lot of ignorance like i feel like if maybe donald trump was was you know in the same situation we would have yeah. a similar situation and we and we kind of do with the whole muslim ban the people um into in america to place a whole people just being neglected and mm. and and um you know that whole thing. I feel like if the, if Hitler was here now, born into this generation, well, not this generation, but in, he was alive right now. WWHD. It'd be it'd be a similar thing with the yeah. whole with Donald Trump. You know, obviously someone like that can't get away with the murder of over six million people anymore. Mm. That's kind of the world we live in. But he can do similar things to what Donald Trump is doing. Um. Anyway. <clears throat> Tell your story, boy. Uh, so, he's uh, Ed Kemper was famous for his high IQ. Um, famously, he turned himself in after his last murder 
uh, and was very careful with all of his murders too. He was very intelligent with with um, with how he covered his tracks to the point that if he never turned himself in, he would have never been caught. He was very intelligent with what he did. Uh, so Ed Kemper was born in Burbank, California. Excuse me, <clears throat> December 18, nineteen forty eight. Um, he was described as being a very sensitive and intelligent boy. Um, and like many families at, at the time of Ed Kemper's young life, um, his parents grew vegetables and kept ch- uh, chickens in the backyard. Um, Kemper idolized his father. He loved to spend time with the chickens and the other farm animals that they had at the time. Um, he treated all of them as he would treat pets and he gave them more names and loved to play with them and um, had quite the compassion for these for animals. Um, so what was his trigger? Did he have a head injury? So yes. not a head, not a head oh. injury at this time, but, um, it makes me so excited. When his, head injuries. his mother was very stern and quick to discipline him. So he grew up a very well-behaved, mm-hmm. um, young man. Uh, he had two sisters, one older and one younger, um, who, this is the, this is kind of like repetitive nature of these things his sisters received a lot more love and attention from his mother than he did um so while he was still young uh ed's father decapitated two of the chickens right in front of ed um and then were used by ed's mother later that night to cook dinner for the whole family oh poor baby when he refused to eat his dinner because his parents were making dinner with two of his His essential pets um, his parents got angry with him and demanded that he eat his dinner, forcing him to eat his pets. Um, which they weren't... Is nece- it weird that I feel a bit sorry for him? They weren't necessarily his pets. They were, you know, obviously farm animals, but he really regarded them as pets. Yeah, he was that close to them. was he at this... He- I believe he was like n- maybe nine. Yeah, so he was a tiny baby. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it's... You, you can definitely feel sorry for him because it... it what I have deduced from this is he was never meant to be a killer. It's mm. 100% the way he was raised and his mother's neglect. 100%. Mm, well, which makes a lot of yeah. sense when you when you hear the full story. Yeah. Um, not excusing what he did, of course, but I don't feel that... I feel that it could have been... It could have been stopped several times by several people yeah. but they chose not to yeah you know and it's and it's it's really sad to be perfectly honest um so that night he ran away but quickly learned that he couldn't escape his family because he's so young mm-hmm. of course <clears throat> his father over the over the next few years i believe um tried to help him get over his sensitivity to the killing of baby animals so he would repetitively decapitate animals in front of him um and essentially and eventually he was desensitized to the killings and accepted it as just a part of life um ed later went on to kill a cat and when he was scolded and and, um, got into trouble for it he couldn't understand why the adults in his life were okay with killing some animals and and then not killing others he couldn't make the distinction between the two he and found he had a thing for beheading didn't he mm, no i mean not really oh okay he d- i mean it, it comes into play for sure but 
Um, he, he couldn't understand why there was this distinction between killing farm animals and other animals like pets, like dogs and cats. Um, so when he was nine years old, his parents got divorced and um, due to this failed marriage, um, his mother took all the bitterness out on Ed. Um, she was quoted as saying, all men are worthless. She was somewhat of a... Same. <laughs> she was somewhat of a... a I don't know the exact term I thought of, I th- of it. I think it was called like third party feminist or something like that, where it's just a feminist who believes that all men are just inherently evil. Um, when really she she went through several relationships. She had she had another marriage um, out in Montana where she moved her she moved Ed and her sister and his sisters with her to Montana where she remarried another man, which obviously failed and didn't work out and she had several strings of relationships um that never lasted too long so ed never really had a strong male role model growing up um and his mother just grew this huge disdain for men um which uh, quite clearly it seems like a her problem yeah and there's a very unhealthy <clears throat> to pass on to you yeah i mean like as two failed marriages several failed relationships and you're blaming yeah, an and you said he gender. was the only boy. He had all yes. Yeah, so that would be hard. You're like, <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so she took a lot of her frustration out on him, a, a nine-year-old boy, because she hated men. Mm. Um, so and during uh his childhood, um, because obviously he he was raised in a single parent household with yeah. three kids, not very wealthy. Um, him and his sisters didn't have a lot of toys growing up. So Ed would spend a lot of his time reading books from the library um, and some of which, well, most of which were very heavy, you know, historic retellings of Vikings and the Holocausts. And, yeah, yeah. Um, he learned all these things from these books and suggested that he and his sisters play a game he called the Gas Chamber, oh, where um, they would tie each other up in a, in a chair and see who could escape the, f- the fastest, pretending that they were stuck in a room filling up with deadly gas. Obviously inspired by the Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> see, because when I was little, <clears throat> I used to play a similar game to this with my friend, except we were like princesses who'd be who'd been kidnapped <laughs> by like an evil magician. Oh no! Like, the evil Austrians coming to kill us. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Big difference being like, I'm a princess and I've been kidnapped. Being like, I am a Jew in the yeah. gas chamber about to die. They, like, shave their heads and everything and tattoo that's themselves. So like, <laughs> it's really fucked up. Hey, kids. A fun new day by a, Hasbro. It's a testament to the tragic childhood of. And it was so normalized. Ed. Yeah, exactly. His sisters weren't had, at all like. He had this no is one to weird. tell him that this is wrong because he had a fractured relationship with his mother and no mm. father figure. His father was in. LA while he was living in Montana. He was away from his father. Um, uh, As if it wasn't already tragic enough, um, Ed and his sisters lived in... In the house they lived in, him and his sisters lived upstairs, uh, in the rooms upstairs in his house. Um, And at some point during their stay there, uh, his mother decided to move Ed down to the basement because she feared that he would hurt his sisters somehow 
even though showing no signs of violent behavior. Yeah, no, very... aside from like trying to pretend to gas chamber them, you know. Yeah, but I mean, he showed he was a he was he was described as a very gentle and yeah. kind companion. Like he he loved animals, except for until, the cat until he until he was desensitized yeah. to that killing of yeah. animals. And that's the tragic thing about it is like you the more you read into it, you're like he didn't really start out like this mm. at all. He was like he was raised or rather um, yeah. Taught there's like a like weird this. sadness to it because obviously you feel a lot sadder for the poor people who have lost their lives. Yeah, of course. But then there's a weird empathy you develop for these like well, obviously I, very broken people. I feel like it stems from the fact that it could have been prevented yeah. several times. Like I said, it could have been prevented from his dad trying to desensitize well, him the to thing. killing. Like they've done, they've done studies on. They used, I think this was actually a Nazi study they did where they studied the effects of no physical contact on babies. Oh, really? I, I could be... This Ooh, is one of these things where I episode. could be making this up. Yeah. But I feel... I, in the back of my little brain, there's this thing... I'm sure I remember reading that like babies, if they're not picked up and held and given mm. physical... Will literally just die. Maybe... um. In a future episode, we can do a dedicated World War Two thing. That would be good. Because yes. I did want to talk about there's a, a Japanese uh, scientist, total mad scientist, who developed, um, I believe it was um, n- not nuclear weapons, but um, he, he was a weapons developer. He was touted as a mad scientist for the things he constructed that I'd like mm. to talk about at some point. Um, so, okay, so Ed. Moves down to the basement mm-hmm. due to the orders from his mother. He's sleeping in a, in a in a cot with a single sleeping bag and one light bulb hanging from the ceiling on a string. Well, that's. Just... I don't know if you know what a cot is, because I don't. Isn't a cot just like, like I think we call them stretchers in Australia? Uh, Those things you take camping. Right. I think yeah. that's what they are. Okay, um, he describes the room as being damp, cold, frightening, and the rats being his only company. Um, so just super quickly, I just researched it, and I didn't make it up. Mm. Um, it's called Frederick's Experiment, Ooh. and they did it on babies, and yeah, they died. Oh, Jesus, really? Yeah. Wow. Without being held um, at all, and they died. Fuck. So it goes to show it's literally like a um like a thing that we need like a maternal it's a it's a physical craving. need yeah yeah wow um so and ed uh has described this action taken by a mother as having a deeper meaning um he's recorded as saying why am i going to the basement I'm going to hell, they're going to heaven. Referring to his Aww. sisters. Um, all right, we're going to get into the first victims. <coughs> Don't sound too excited. Murders. I'm, I mean, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not excited, but I'm kind of excited. Yeah. I guess kind of exciting. Um, it's, not ha- it's not like it's happening right now, like, ooh, yay, someone's getting murdered. It's like it's happened. 
I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> you don't look at me like that. Um, so obviously another huge characteristic of Ed was that he was very tall, uh, a tall, very tall person. Mm. Um, at, how tall are we? Well, tall I mean, king. At, during his adult life, he reached a height of six foot nine. Oh! Which yeah, is that's over tall. two meters. Yeah, that's tall. That's a tall boy. Very tall boy. He had to like crouch down to enter most rooms. Yeah, that's a tall boy. Huge. Yeah. And it's like it's represented in the show as well how huge he is. Like yeah. he's giant. Um so uh his him being very tall for his age, he was often thought of being much older than what he actually was. So he started driving when he was ten years old. Yeah, because well, he could get away with it. Yeah, he was driving his his mum's car, I believe. It's not really going into detail, but he was driving since he was about ten. Uh, one time, he drove himself to a carnival, and he noticed an, an attraction at the carnival that was uh, uh, presented as a guillotine that would feign decapitating people's heads. So you would put your head in it, and it would like fall I've down seen those and pretend to like decapitate you. And he he. He rec- he recounted that he found it perplexing that um, people would be so thrilled by the idea of you know laughing and squealing in the face of death, but it's all fake. Mm. Um, and it was at this moment that he realized that even though the the death wasn't real, the whole thought of it excited him, like the actual. Um, well, yeah, the erection. The idea gave it away. of them dying. Exactly, was like the erection, the 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 first boner, if you will, of his murderous rage. I meant a literal erection, but I don't know if it was a <laughs> literal erection. I don't know. I was joking. Men are weird, you but ruined it little by boys trying to make it a metaphor. Fuck you. Well, wow, okay. tell your stupid story. Jesus, tell your story. When did the sentence of fucking marriage counselling? Next week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, Ed found himself wishing that the decapitation attraction was a real thing. He found himself wishing that they would actually be decapitated. Um, so during this time, Ed had suffered issues with delusions. So, um, he started having trouble deciphering what was real and what was fantasy um, and at 13, his life his mother became too much for him to deal with, so he ran away from home and tried to live with his father and his stepmother um, in Los Angeles for a few months. Um, and after a few months of living there with his father and his stepmother, his dad um, sends him off to live with his grandparents on his father's side, so his dad's parents, yeah. um, to live on their 17-acre farm. So a huge property, right? Um his grandmother was just as abusive and domineering as his mother. Um, and his father had dementia. So, um, very rough household to live in. Yeah. So again, can't escape that whole, you know, the the missing maternal and paternal love and affection that mm. he needs. Yeah. And his own father sends him away. You know, it's really not looking good for him. Um, so due to the size of the land, his grandparents would allow him to use a rifle to hunt rabbits and squirrels and other small animals. Um, and whenever his grandmother left the house, she would take the guns with him, with her, sorry. Um, and... Good call on her. Yeah. So for a year and a half, this is all going 
fine, even though there's a fractured relationship between him and his his grandmother. <clears throat> um, and he decides to return back home to visit his mother for the first time in nearly two years. Yeah. Um, and his mother's just exactly the same, like very, you know, stern and yeah. too much for him to deal with. She knew exactly how to make him feel worthless. She knew exactly which, you know, points to, to prick at. Yeah. Um, and whenever he was around his mother, it would cause these delusions to, to act up. So, like, his mental health would have this huge spike. Mm. Um, and so, any progress in his mental health that he had away from his mother was just down the drain the second he reunites with his mum. It's really sad. It's very sad. So, he returns back to his grandparents' estate um, where he's still slipping into an everlasting delusional state uh, to which um, he then... I, I'm not too sure on the actual dates... But at some time during his return back to his grandmother's house, he pretends to leave the house um, and takes the rifle that he used to kill rabbits and small animals and shoots his grandmother back of the head. Um, he then kills his grandfather. Um, supposedly, he's quoted as saying he didn't want him to live through the pain of knowing that his wife had been murder- murdered. Mm. So he recalls it as a, a mercy killing, if you will. Um, so when the, when the delusions finally pass and reality sets in, Ed realizes that his grandparents are dead at his feet. So he calls his mother, um, and asks her, what, what should he do? And due to the size of the property, he could have just driven away, never even gone back. Mm -hmm. And no one would have known that they were even dead for, for a long time. Um, but instead he calls his mom who tells him to turn himself into the sheriff. And that's exactly what he did. He calls the sheriff's department, um, tells him what he's done. They arrive, arrest him. He goes willingly. And when he was asked for an explanation to why he did it, he simply says, I wanted to see what it would feel like to kill grandma. So now we move on to what is recounted as the stolen youth uh, of Ed Kemper. So um, he's like fourteen at this. He's point. fifteen at this 15. time. Um, very close. Um, so since I'm, it's, I'm listening, I'm, since he was I'm fifteen, up. you are. Since he was fifteen when he killed his grandparents, uh, Ed was considered a minor at the time and went to a mental house hospital without having to serve any jail time. Mm. Um, so after multiple tests, doctors determined that Ed has a genius level IQ. Uh, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and Ed described his time in the hospital as, um, as, as he loved it. He thought it was probably one of the best times of his life. Which yeah, is, he gets away from his yeah. mom. It, he, um, it was the first time he had ever gotten the help that he needed because he has these obvious mental health issues. Yeah. He's getting the medication he needs. And probably getting... the first time he's like ever like maybe even been praised, being told he's got a high IQ. Attention and... that yeah. he so need a fifteen year old needs after fifteen years of getting mm. jack shit, just getting abuse. Um so he's getting all these medications, getting um, you know, evaluations. He's a, he, for the first time ever in his life he has proper structure uh and stability in his life. Mm. Um 
His mental health continues to heal, and for the first time ever, he's fully in touch with reality, so no delusions whatsoever. Um, He was even given a job shadowing other doctors, which if you don't know what shadowing doctors is, it's essentially literally just sort of following doctors and and learning what they do on a day-to-day basis. Um, So many, you know, interns and and medical students will, um, what's called shadowing, which is where you just spend a day, um, you know, find out what being a doctor's like. You, do, you see all the procedures they do, literally everything they do in a day. Mm. Um, so he, he's given a job doing that at the hospital. Um, and after a while, um, due to him remaining calm and providing all the answers the doctors want to hear, they were convinced that he's made a full recovery after just four years. And they uh, decided to release him after four years. Uh, while he's in custody, he tells his doctors all about the abuse he received from his mom, his mom, um, uh, while under a care, and he begs them not to take him back to her. Uh, and his doctors assure him, like, that's never going to happen, we're not going to let it happen. And they knew for a fact that if he was sent back to his mom, he would ha- these issues would arise back again, and um, he would get he would his mental health would deteriorate further. Um, however, the judge who ultimately has a last say in this case decides that it would be best to put Ed back in the custody of his mother, which no. is what I was saying before, no, where like, where no, no, you no, have no, so many no. chances to mm, stop this person it. becoming a prevention. There are so many steps in this tragic story of prevention mm. where you could have stopped this from ever happening, Right. The mother, the father, the grandparents, the stepmother, the judge. And we are where we are because these people didn't stop it when they could have. Um, so he ultimately is, is, is remains in the custody of his, well, his mom. He's now an adult um, <clears throat> at this time. I believe he's uh, 19. 19. Yeah. Um, and he's now fully six foot nine, huge dude. Um, so because Ed spent most of his life either in a conservative family, um, or his teenage years were spent mostly in a mental hospital, he's thrown into the whole, you know, late sixties, early seventies, like hippie uprising, you know, free love, um, marijuana music kind of like lifestyle, right? Um, and it's uncomfortable him for him to deal with. So he has trouble t- communicating with women, going on dates. Um, but ultimately, he has a first date at 21 years of, years of age. Um, he takes a girl to, to Denny's and a John Wayne movie, but um, recalls it as being rather awkward because he didn't smoke pot, he didn't listen to music, didn't party like most kids his age during the time. Because um, he spent most of his life being fucking locked away, essentially. Um, uh, so, his mother has been known to say like things like, all men were awful people. Um, at the time, she worked at, um, at the University of California, Santa Cruz. And had, I believe it was either she had all female students or mostly female students. Um, but she truly hated men, just hated men. Um, and 
having this shoved in Ed's face was just, you know, too much for him to handle. So he took out his hatred on his mother, obviously on other women. Mm. Um, which obviously starts the whole murders, rage, escapade um, that he's famous for. So during this time, Ed often has fantasies about being with women, but never, never about being in a, a relationship with a woman. Only ever sexual. Mm. Um, and here I've written um, as my my I have like little headers to give little like you know sub subtext. Yeah. I've, my uh, my bookmark is murders. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Because this is where we get into okay. the, the good shit. This is the good stuff. Um, so, okay. Ed decides one day that he wants to become a police officer. The stability and the structure of the profession is really appealing to him. He feels it would be good for his mental health. Um, and he thinks it's a good job to just be in for the, for the financial aspect. Mm. Um, just every, everything about it really is, is really appealing to him. Um, he is not successful in becoming a police officer. Um, oddly enough, not due to his personal record, because he was expunged from the two murders because he was a minor. And um, he, during his time in the, at the hospital, they decide like it was due to his mental health issues, and um, he's expunged of all charges, so his record's clean at this point. Um, actually. He was prevented from becoming a police officer because of his height. height. Yeah, at the time there was a limit on how tall he could be as a police mm. officer. Which uh, I at first I was kind of like, "What the fuck does that mean?" But when you think about it in terms of like a fitness aspect and you know, like things also like trying to like <clears throat> calm people down. Yeah, like, it was nothing very more intimidating than like a six foot nine man coming towards Fucking you. Fucking huge guy yeah. who could like break your throat. Mm-hmm. Um. So he decides that if he can't become a police officer, that he would just, you know, he wants to become friends with cops instead. So he starts hanging out with them at the bar called the Jury Room, which is a famous um, bar where a lot of police officers would frequent. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at the time, he found a job. He found a small apartment to live in, um, but, ver- but fairly soon after, he fell into f- he fell out of financial stability and was forced to move back with his mother. Um, they would often get into arguments, which would make the situation much worse. Um, so Ed found a hobby to try and escape his, his home life, which, um, became a habit of driving. So he would, uh, he, he formed a habit of specifically picking up hitchhikers and giving them rides to, um, where they wanted to go, which is very Mm -hmm. common at the time in the yeah, 60s and time, 70s. Um, and most of the time it was college students who would hold up signs telling people where they wanted to go. Um, <clears throat> so he had fantasies at the time of picking up young women and killing them. And he decided that he needed to practice the act of picking up hitchhikers and dropping them off to get good at it. Mm. So he... it's it, It's been... He's been said to have picked up over hitchhikers and dropping them off over 150 times Mm. for free before anything ever happened. Um, Just to practice so he could be prepared for any scenario that someone would walk into the car and he he was just completely prepared for anything. Um, And he would spend a lot of time at the bar with the police officers um, where he would learn 
things from talking to police officers about the cases that they're working on and so some of which being young women running away all the time only to return back home. So he began having fantasies about these young women. He began fantasizing about picking them up, raping them and murdering them. Um, and through these fantasies, he would, uh, you know, figure out what to say and what to do in order to make, make people feel more, feel more at ease um, and how he would like, you know, pull everything off. Mm. So uh, through having these fantasies, he figured everything out. He, f- he had this to the teeth exactly what he would say, exactly mm. what he would do. And, and that's how he became so charismatic yeah. is he figured out how to do it just through the, his thoughts. Um, <clears throat> so May 7th, here we go. 1972. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. He picks up two 18-year-old girls, one named Mary Ann uh, Pesca and Anita Lucessa, Lucessa, sorry, uh, in Berkeley, California. So they asked for a ride to Stanford in uni- uh, Stanford University. Um, he instead drives them to a secluded area in the woods, locks Anita in the trunk, stabs and strangles Mary Ann, um, killing her before opening the trunk and killing Anita in the exact same way. After they're dead, he rapes their dead bodies and stuffs them into the trunk of his Ford Galaxy, which I'm blanking now, but I'm fairly certain Son of Sam had a Ford Galaxy. I'm like almost certain. It's a weird I know. I was doing the research and I thought, hang on, didn't Son of Sam have a fucking Ford Galaxy? A uh, good sponsorship for Ford. I don't think they make galaxies anymore, which is mm. probably fucking Probably won't. why. Um, so on the ride home, funny enough, he, an officer pulls him over and uh, he's completely calm. He He's very charming. Um, uh, the officer only pulled him over to tell him that his taillight was out. And after he tells him, he goes on his way. Nothing happens. Um, so when... Ed returns home, he dismembers the bodies, stuffs individual body parts into bags and disperses them several miles apart in order to throw the police off so they can never piece together the bodies. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so after this, these two murders, universities in the area start telling students to not accept rides from strangers. Um, and if there's absolutely no, no choice and they have to accept a ride, to only ever get into cars with a campus sticker on them. Now, because at the time, Ed Kemper's mother she worked, at, worked at California, Santa Cruz, University of Santa Cruz. He had that sticker, didn't he? Had he had that motherfucking sticker. He had that sticker on his fucking car. Oh, you know he had that sticker, Oh, you girl. fucking know he had that sticker. And it's incredibly ironic that he has that sticker. He had that sticker before he even... What a weird a thing. thing to decide is a sign to trust someone, though. Yeah, and it's and and ironically, he had that sticker all along mm. on his car. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> okay, next date. So, uh, I believe a couple months later. Yeah, so we're going from May seventh to September fourteenth of the same year, nineteen seventy-two. Ed picks up a fifteen-year-old girl named Aiko Ku, uh, who needed a ride to a ballet class. Ed kills her in the exact same fashion. So, murders her, well, stabs her, strangles her, rapes her body, and then dismembers her and disperses her body parts. Um, a couple months later, 
the next year, in the new year, January 7th, 1973, he does the exact same thing with a woman named Cindy uh, Shaw. But instead of dismembering her and burying her her body parts scattered, he instead buries her head in his yard, facing his mother's bedroom window. That is one of the single creepiest things I've ever Oh, yeah. Heard. Oh, yeah. And oh, that's just... Hang on. Uh, if that doesn't make you cringe, he went to one of his state-mandated therapy sessions with Cindy's head still in the trunk of his car. And during that session, his psychiatrist believes that Ed was actually doing much better and decides to release him from the court-ordered therapy while he has a head in his car. (laughs) I'm just scared. I have two cats sitting on me at the moment. I just scared the shit out of both of them. Freaking out. Oh, my God. I know. I know. The therapist is like, you seem very calm today. Yeah, and he's like, I am. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm having a detox. You know, I'm I'm doing really well. So I'm doing Pilates. I can't get over the... He buried the head to fate. I'm getting oh, into kombucha. Oh, I'm really, you know... So creepy. Keep going. I'm making salad Love it. Bread. Keep going. Um, Keep going. <clears throat> so even though uh, the murders were months apart, Ed would continue to give rides to young women on a daily basis to get information on what the general public was saying about him and his murders. Um, it's also like a, a weirdly clever... Alibi. Not an alibi, but then it's like if he was ever a suspect, he'd have literally hundreds of women. Yeah, he'd be like, "Well, he gave me a ride. Yeah, and he didn't kill like, me, and I'm fine. Exactly. And then you'd have all these women coming forward and being like, "Yeah, no, he gave me a ride. He seemed like a nice dude. That's the like, thing. That's why he was so smart because he he knew all this. See, this is when you start to feel like, even though yes, he had a tragic backstory, you start to feel less sorry because you're like, "That's fucking sadistic." Mm. Like, but um, he he more so, he more so did it so he would to cover up his own tracks. He didn't he didn't want to get caught at the time, so yeah. he would learn what they were saying about him. So if they were saying like, "Oh, they found um, hair at the scene, or or blood, or semen," like he would be like, "Okay, I got to cover up my tracks better." Yeah. Um. So at the same time, for the same reason, he would uh, continue going to the bars. Uh, and talk with the officers who were in, who were obviously in charge of the murder cases, and would learn new information about the case when he would talk to them, um, because he was friends with all the police officers. Yeah, in, in so the they area. didn't have any. No, and they believed him just be a regular old dude who tried to become a police officer who was unsuccessful. Who was too tall. Yeah. Not even that he got <clears throat> turned away because no. oh poor guy he seems like such a good dude like just because he's too tall. They le- and he learned pretty much all he needed to learn from them. Yeah, and then like, of course he's interested. Like, he wanted to be a cop. Yeah. Um. So, he at the same time he's also watching a lot of crime shows on TV, which was this is also mentioned in Mindhunter. Mm. Um. So he he learn he watches as much as he can so he can try and learn um, different ways that he could potentially be caught from the murders. Um, an example of which that he describes was he was watching, um, he, he would he would go to visit his victims' funerals. Uh, so his first few victims, he would go to visit their funerals to pay respects to them. Yeah. Um, and after learning that detectives sh- often show up to the, such funerals, he quickly broke the habit of doing so. So that's an example of how he would learn Not what to get not caught, to do. Yeah. 
Um, so next date, uh, I think, uh, yeah, uh, a month, a month apart, February 5th of 1973, um, Ed gets into a heated argument with his mother and he goes out and kills two more girls, um, in the exact same way as the previous murders, uh, Rosalind Thorpe and Alison Liu. He finally makes the connection himself that the anger he feels towards his mother is the trigger that sets him off into a killing spree. So, he figures out that if he wants the killings to stop, he has to kill his mother. So, he figures out that he needs to start to devise a plan on how he's going to murder his mother. However, that all comes to a halt when police come to the Kemper residence to question Ed. At the time... Oh, by the way, this is another footnote. This is my... So, I, I categorize all my notes. My next category is motherfucker got caught. <laughs> uh, so, um, a few days earlier such a nerd. to this, <laughs> a few days earlier to the, to the arrival, um, Ed had purchased a gun and the gun shop owner uh, can tell from his personal record that he's been expunged of a previous murder that he committed when he was under 18. So he reports to the police that Ed has bought a gun gives them his name and his address. And when the police show up to his residence, they quickly discover who he is. He's the guy who's at the bar all the time and they're friends with him. It's like, oh. And they tell him that they're merely there for a, a formality. Yeah. They have to show up and, and, and search his house. So he leads them to his um, his closet where he keeps several guns. Next to which, he also has a woman's purse and a box full of mementos from his victims. Before the police can find these such items, he quickly distracts them and takes them to his car where he has more concealed weaponry. And that makes him look like such a good guy I as know. well. Just being like, oh yeah, guys, oh, like quickly, by the way, show my car, yeah. I also have like, exactly. just telling you what I've got, I also have some more in my car. And so, they're like, oh, well he's got nothing to hide. He's showing us his gun. And it works. They have, he's so fucking smart. It works. They have ah! no idea it's him. And they, they tell him that they, they don't believe he's involved in any way, or shape, or form. No, because How- why would you willingly be like, oh, here's some more guns I have yeah. hidden. However, he becomes extremely paranoid and believes that the police are catching on to him. Um, so he quickly decides that like this is the time he needs to kill his mother. So for an entire week, he devises a plan on how he's going to kill his mother. Yeah, because he has to be careful about it. Because obviously he's going to yeah. be... So here's... Here's the like the the creme de la creme, the ben de la creme, the ben de la creme. Um, so one night at four a.m., his mother comes home, stumbling through the front door, which wakes Ed's up, and Ed decides, "Now tonight's the night. Tonight's the night." Well, that's what I do when you wake me up. When yeah. I'm asleep. you smash me in the head because that's exactly I what do Ed think does. About it. Ed smashes her in the head with a claw hammer, decapitates What's her. What's a claw hammer? I believe it's. I'm gonna look it up. I'm on it. Okay. You keep going. I'm on it. <clears throat> he smashes her head in with a claw hammer, decapitates her head, sexually violates her head. Which, if you want to get, oh, it's just a normal hammer. That's... Yeah, it's like the claw part of the hammer, I believe. Well, I was expecting pulls... something a lot more exciting. It pulls the nails out. It's yeah, like the, it's the... just a normal hammer. That's... That part gets stuck in things though 
Yeah, that's true. So especially if you're using a force, um, especially if, if you want to get into specifics six, about nine. the the violation, the sexual violation, are you? I mean, I really, really do, and I really, really don't. From what I what I recall, he slit uh, an incision into her throat and uh, had sexual intercourse with her throat. From what I remember. It, it didn't get I'm into, so confused. Why would you need to do that? There weren't specifics on 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 what he did. Didn't specifically. So he does he cut her head off? Yeah, he cut her head off and then cut an incision to her throat. Isn't it already a hole? You just so like right here, he cuts right. Yeah, but what I'm there. saying is that the head is gone. Is there not already a hole where you're? I'm not too sure. I didn't really. I I personally wasn't. I don't really too, think too yeah, much about exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Um. And then getting some graphic images in my head that I really. He then tears out her vocal cords and shoves them down a garbage disposal. Because oh he, I I believe. I shouldn't laugh. That's so horrible. I believe it was um. It was either because he. Because he wanted her to shut shut the fuck up, up. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. So he he decided to, to permanently shut her up. He grabs her vocal cords and because shoves apparently her cutting her head off <laughs> was no. Really but her, she still has her vocal cords intact. So mm. okay, I'm sorry, starting to, to feel. <clears throat> I was feeling real sorry for this dude at the start of this. I'm starting to feel less and less sorry for him. So <laughs> he then places her head on the mantelpiece. <laughs> And starts to throw darts at the head. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> I should not be laughing. I know, you shouldn't be laughing. This is so <laughs> but it's like, it's so horrible. What else can you do aside it's, from laugh? It, it's shock, really. It's like, what <laughs> the fuck? I'm also fuck? picturing it in my head. I know. Like oh some my Mortal God. Kombat shit. Really. He that is. Tearing out the vocal yeah. cords, that's very Mortal Kombat. He, we should play Mortal Kombat. We should. Once his rage subsides, he realizes what he's done and he has to make it look like a break-in happened to cover up the Buddy, murder. I think we're a few steps we're, we're a few steps Mike, okay. The so, police come in and they're like, mm, Chief, I can't figure out what these weird pinholes in her seems skull like a, are. It seems like a break-in. Like There's semen all on her face. Darts. And the head's decapitated, and it looks like it's been punched a few times. Obviously, a rage intent murder. Oh my god! It's a break-in. Um, so he yeah, I'd be hiding that head if I were him. He calls um his mother's best friend Sally Hallett and tells her that he has made a dinner for her and her, her his mother. Oh my god! Please <clears throat> tell me he doesn't cook the head. <laughs> no. Oh okay. god! Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, when she arrives to the house, he strangles her and kills her and then stuffs both their bodies into the closet and leaves them there for the police to find. His motive was to make it seem like someone had come in while him and his mother, sorry, his mother and her best friend were having dinner. Um, someone came in and murdered both of them and pissed off. I love... (laughs) I just love his reasoning. Yeah. How to hide one murder. Kill again. <laughs> by committing two murders. You Also, you got to remember this guy is mentally unhinged. Yeah, so that's he's not thinking true. logically. That's true. <clears throat> um, so he, he 
he discovers that after his mother's murder, the torment has finally stopped. It's over. So he, after killing his mother, he he packs his bags, drives far far away, and continues his life. He learns that he he discovers that he's able to talk to women again without thinking about killing them, which is always good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I struggle with that on a always daily basis. A yeah. Um, wow. I sleep in a bed with you, buddy. You do. Yeah. Just think okay. about that tonight when you act up. Please, we both know who'd be getting murdered first. It wouldn't be me. And I'd make sure no one would ever know. No one would ever find you, buddy. Bullshit. You don't know where to get any any methods of... You are talking to the girl who every morning for three years on her way to work has listened to a true crime podcast. If y'all don't believe (laughs) I know how to hide a body, you're kidding yourself. All right. Alright. And I'd make it look like they were all separate. Shut the fuck up. I will murder you if you keep interrupting me. Keep dreaming. (laughs) Go on. Uh, So he realizes that he, uh, after a while, um, that he's able to talk to women. Um, He he doesn't think about murder, and the whole source of his anger is just gone. But after a while, he realizes he, he can't live with the guilt of killing his. Mother and, and the other murders that he's committed um, and decides he wants to stop hiding and to actually pay for his crime. So he finds the nearest payphone, calls the police and confesses to them saying, I am the co-ed killer. He patiently waits for the police to pick him up uh, and on the ride back to the station, um, he gives the police officers every little detail about his crimes, which they describe as making them physically sick hearing all the um, details of these murders. While in custody, he admits to these delusions, taking control of his life, and he actually begs for a lobotomy so that he would never have the urge to kill again. Um, Ed Kemper was sentenced to 10 counts of first-degree murder. He's still alive today and still in prison. Um, And during his time in prison, he's shown uh, remorse for his actions, and he's gladly agreed in the famous... Uh, assisting of the psychological study of serial killers via audio and video recordings, hmm. um, <clears throat> which has helped develop the system of uh, serial killers. Like profiling them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and an interesting interesting fact that I found was most psychiatrists that um, studied the, the tapes of Ed Kemper have determined from the retellings of his story that his mother had borderline personality disorder. Wow. Yeah. And had she never... Had she been treated or had she never, um, you know, treated Ed the way that she did, there's a large possibility that he would have never turned out the way he did. It's funny, it's it's kind of funny how different people react because like you say that like my mum has borderline, borderline personality, personality disorder. disorder. Yeah. And as far as you know You haven't killed anyone yet. I haven't killed anyone. As far as I know. Yet. Yet. And as far as I know. We're, we're this close. No, I'm kidding. You, you and you work in insurance as well, so you you have all the triggers to <laughs> fucking murder someone. Well, I mean I I don't work in life insurance. Like I wouldn't know how to 
No, I mean, but you have experiences day to day when you would like you have customers that call you up and you'd be like, I oh, want to fucking kill yeah, you. Yeah, like rage. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we probably, you shouldn't, don't. We probably shouldn't talk about my job on no. here. Yeah, that's um, um, you work as an as a as a lawyer, don't you? I'm a space astronaut. Space astronaut. <laughs> um, there are so many cats around us right now that it's. I have two sitting on me right now. We have three, but the other one's antisocial. <laughs> Where is she anyway? Who knows? She decides when you pat her. She decides how long you pat her for. So that is. Ed Kemper. I did not know. <clears throat> Honestly, all I really know about Ed Kemper is from what you learned from, from Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Yeah. yeah. Um. But now I really want to watch the episode again. Yeah, I feel like we should rewatch mm. the series again because it's it is quite a good series. I think it's like, oh, it's not. It's ten o'clock. Yeah, it's probably too late. Nah, we can watch another episode tonight. All right, well, let's wrap this shit up. Um, we kind of did a. Uh, we kind of did our like. Good feel spiel at the start of the episode, didn't we? Good feel, like our good happy feel spiel. Uh, kind of. I mean, like we can we can round it off with something pleasant. Mm. Um, I have decided throughout the duration of this episode that I am going to make a Instagram account for the the podcast for the podcast, right? So it'll be best served cold or. Some iteration of that. I'll put it in the show notes. I'm going to go... I'm going to make it tomorrow. Sickness. There we go. Did you um, say sickness? I did say sickness. Get out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, so, this has been this week's episode. Um, just to reiterate, we, we discussed the murders of H.H. H. Holmes and Ed Kemper. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess to end things on a positive note, um. Hopefully the pubs will fucking open up this Friday. I hope so. I just miss I miss going out for a cold beer so much. Mm. Um, I'm, I can see right now. A week ago, Billy Ash and Phineas did a live stream concert. <coughs> if you're into that, maybe check that out. I'm just reading things off the television screen now. Yeah. Um. Oh. Uh. As of this Saturday, which. It'll probably be out by the time you hear this episode. Your music video will be out. My music video will be out with (laughs) with my band Juno. Um, We have a single called Sleepwalker. Let me just drink this water real quick because my throat's quite sore. Um, So he has a single called Sleepwalker and the music video he worked very, very hard on. Very hard on. It'll be out on the 8th? No, um, on the 9th. On the 9th. I was close. Um, But the actual single will be out on the 13th. Which again, by the time um, this episode airs, it'll already be out. Yeah, because we've we wanted to try and have a bit of a not a backlog, but we wanted to try and have because you know life happens, so we wanted to try and Shit have happens. a couple of episodes under our belt. So mm. you know we're always a week or two ahead. So if we have a week or we can't record, then it doesn't mean it's going to be a week y- with no yeah. episode. Also, the issues with the name has kind of like pushed us back a little yeah. bit. We have a name. <clears throat> We have a podcast artwork coming by one of our very, very yep. good friends, Jabin Betts. He's an incredible artist. He's doing us some podcast on, artwork. On Instagram and his business handle is Pineapple Stickers. Um, um, so definitely check him out. Yeah. Um, check out uh, Gino.exe on Instagram. Um, and we're also on Facebook. 
And we'll put everything in the show notes. Yeah, as everything's well. gonna be in the show notes. That's fucking. I'm really excited for that. Um, because it's something I'm very passionate about. And you've been working on it for a really long time huge as well. Time, huge, a huge amount of time. That's been going since like late 2019. Mm. Yeah. Like it's good stuff. Fucking long time, man. But yeah, this has been. Best Served Cold, Cold. the episode where we drink wine and talk about crime. The episode. You say like it's the one time we drink wine and talk about murder. Did I say the episode? Yeah. I meant to say the show. Did I not say the the show? show? You said the episode. The show. Yeah. Just, just, I'm going to reiterate. Can you just cut that out? Okay. No. (laughs) Please? (laughs) No, I'm going to keep it. Let me get it right. Let me get it right. Damn it. Dude, fuck that. We don't like that kind of show. Let me live my voice announcement. The show. Where we drink wine, wine and, and talk, talk about, about murder crime. and crime. <laughs> wow, we're on a roll. We're on a roll here. You can't do it if it doesn't rhyme. Yeah, okay, but we should just um, do our... We should do it live. We do our sign-off now. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is our, <laughs> our sign-off? What's our sign-off? Do you know what our sign-off is? So we no. will... We'll, we'll see, you, see you next week. We'll catch you later, fuckfaces. Catch faces. you later. Bye! Bye!